TheYeshiva.net. So before we begin, let me just mention our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And our learning today is dedicated in their merit, those Jews who are still in the Ukraine and the many who have fled and are now refugees in different countries, some of them whom I know personally. And as I mentioned, there's a fund that I was, uh, that I was part of creating in order to help 17 of the Chabad Shluchim and their communities in Ukraine, 17 whom I personally know. The money is going directly to these communities, both in Ukraine and the refugees. You can uh, go to jewsofukraine.com and there's a team called the yeshiva.net. And uh, a lot of you and a lot of us on our list have been donating very nicely. We raised close to $1.8 million dollars from Achenu Bnei Yisrael over the world, around the world. So if somebody could, <coughs> it would be extremely appropriate to help out. This money goes directly to them. There's no gabayim, no mashulachim, no fundraisers, no secretaries, no overhead, no, <laughs> no commission, no 20% going here, 30% going here. It's all directly, directly to these people. Um, who desperately need this money literally for food and medicine and escaping and and hold places to sleep for themselves, for their, their children. We're not talking here to go on vacation, we're talking here survival. That's number one. Number two is um, tomorrow evening we're having a very special event, myself and Ellie Nash. Ellie Nash is a young man in Florida who has... Uh, <coughs> been um who has who has been in recovery for many years from addiction porn addiction and uh, he decided to have a session together with me the title is the shame around porn addiction is it helpful or not helpful a jewish perspective and that's going to be tuesday 8 30 in the evening it's going to be a Zoom event where people could come on live and ask questions, but it's also going to be streamed on the yeshiva.net. If you know anybody who deals with addiction and recovery in their personal life or in their families, it would be very worthwhile to discuss it because this type of addiction is one of the addictions that there's crazy shame around it. And on the other hand, it affects so many, so many people. You can ask the therapists in this class. And uh, it's something that's really, really, it's, it destabilizes and really confuses people in a very deep way. So we decided to do a very open session about it. That's Tuesday, 8.30 in the evening, New York time, everybody is invited. Um, so it's a webinar and a Zoom and also going to be streamed live. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we have the women's class at 12.45 and Thursday morning, 7.30, we're going to resume this mimer. Okay, so now let's go right into what we have been learning. A few days ago, last week, we began the Maimir Zachir Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you? That the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, Purim Tavshin Yud Zayin, Purim 1957. We already had two classes on this Maimir, and now we are up to class three. You could review it. You sh- I hope you will review it. It's a very, very uh, powerful discussion and very loaded, very heavy with many personal applications, we're now up to Siv Dalad. 
Sev Dalad is the fourth chapter. It's page 155 in your source sheets. Please open your source sheets. If you're on Zoom, great. If you're on the yeshiva.net, you have the source sheets right near the video or below the video or on the right side of the video. Sev Dalad, the bottom of page 155. We could say, is a very interesting expression. Vyeshloimar is an expression that's used very often in Taisvis. Taisvis says, Vim Taimar is a question, and Vyeshloimar is an answer. Literally, Vyeshloimar means one can say. Like, there is what to say, there is a way to answer. So, the Rebbe would often use this word, these, this expression, Vyeshloimar, there is an answer. But here he adds, Bederich Efsher. Bederich Efsher means there's a little bit of a hesitancy. Bederich Efsher means. It's like, I can't say this for certain. I can't say this, uh, I can't say this for certainty. But the Rechavsha means it's possible, perhaps, to give the following explanation. But uh, there's a beautiful story. It was once the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Ayatz, was saying over a Maimah and his Bar Mitzvah from his father, known as the Rebbe Rashab. And the Rebbe Rashab said something in the middle of the Maimah, which means with a little hesitancy, like perhaps it's possible to say this. And when his son at the Bar Mitzvah said over the Maimah, he took out the words, he took out the words, he just said, this is how it is. So his father asked him later, why didn't you say those words? He says, if for you it's a possible explanation, for me it's a good explanation. I don't have to hesitate about it. So he, he took out, he says, If it's an Efsher for you, it's a Vada for me. It's parenthetically. You could say, Based on what we explained above, we'll understand the difference between Yada and La Yada. Amazing. We learned before, if you remember, the Gemara says in Megillah, this was the beginning, not the beginning of the Maimah, the second, the, second, the, the second chapter of the Maimah. The Gemara says in Megillah Dav Zayin, Person is obliged to be inebriated on Purim, to be intoxicated on Purim, until you don't know the difference, you're unaware, you're not cognizant of the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Marduch. What does this mean? We asked the questions. I'm not going to repeat now the previous classes because they're deep classes and I want to get further. I want to go further. But you could review it. We asked all the questions. Apparently, it's a very strange commandment that Ampurim, which is all about the defeat of Haman, we have to celebrate to the point that we don't know the difference. If we don't know the difference, there's no Purim. <laughs> If, if Haman is not a bad guy, Mordechai is not a good guy, then there's no reason to, to have a feast on Purim. The whole reason we feast on Purim is because Haman was cursed and Mordechai was blessed. And the other questions that we asked. You know, is this really a Jewish theme? That you become so drunk that you don't know the difference? Etc. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe quoted Darizal. Darizal says in Shara Kavanas that it means literally, it means kipshute, it means literally. It doesn't just mean you get confused in your brain and you go to sleep. There's an interpretation like that too. It's brought even in Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah that some people are Mekayim Adelayada. They drink a little more than they're accustomed to. They get tired. They fall asleep. When you fall asleep, you don't know the difference. <laughs> when you're sleeping, it's Adelayada. There's such a, there's such a view in Shulchan Aruch as well. The Ramah brings it in Hilchas Megillah. And some people do it that way. They get a little tired and they fall asleep. 
But Darizal says it means that the person actually, as a result of their inebriation, can utter the words, Baruch Haman, blessed is Haman. Darizal says, not the other way. Not the other way around. Cursed is Mardechai, that not. But blessed is Haman. What's the meaning of this? Darizal said it means that I'm put him. The Jew has the ability, as he says, that even in the Klippe, even in the husk of Haman, there is a spark of Kedusha. Because if there was no spark of Kedusha, it couldn't live. Haman couldn't live. And by the way, that's the deeper meaning I once heard from the Rebbe. The Gemara says in Chuland of Kuflamates, Haman min ha minayin. What's the source of Haman and Torah? Who says Haman has a source in Torah? The answer is, if something exists in this world, it has a source in Torah. If something exists in this world, it has a nitzutz. It has a divine spark. Haman min minayin. There's a source for Haman and Torah. It's not just a question, a cute question, where there's a postic that alludes to Haman and the Gemara answers, Hamin Hamin is the same letters like Haman. But there's a very profound idea. If Haman wouldn't exist in Torah, Haman wouldn't exist in the world. Now, this doesn't mean Khalila Khalila to whitewash Haman. Haman was a Russia Mirusha. Haman was a, was a, was a, was a Hitler. Haman was an Amaleki. He wanted to destroy every single Jew and he almost did it. He had a plan of genocide. Because the Nitzutz in Haman is so distorted. It's so covered up. It's so buried. It's so inaccessible that Haman himself has no access to his Nitzutz. If Haman would know about his Nitzutz, then Haman wouldn't be Haman. <laughs> then Haman would be a fine man. He would be a mensch. Haman becomes Haman because the spark is completely, completely concealed and embedded and covered over and buried in husks, and that's called klippa, shells, husks. As we spoke Shabbos, after, after Musab about the concept of what a klippa is, it covers up everything inside. And therefore, says Darizal, when a Jew says, blessed Haman, what is he doing? He's bringing light to that spark. Lahamshik and but there's one condition. You can only say it without kavana. Only without kavana. Only without deliberation. Only when you're drunk. Says Darizal, if you do it with kavana, if you do it with premeditated clarity, Baruch Haman, oh yeah, that's not good. Because then the light goes to the klipper, not to the nitzutz. That's Darizal. Shara kavana, Darizal says this. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explained that Baruch Muhammad, saying Baruch Haman and Baruch Mardach, the fact that you don't know the difference means that you're accessing the spark of holiness of Haman, like the Gemara says in Gitin, that the descendants of Haman taught Torah in public in Bnei Brak. In other words, Haman had descendants who not only became Jews, but they became teachers of Torah. How does that happen? And they had Haman's genes. They had Haman's genes. The answer is, because there's a, there's, there's a spark. There's a nitzutz. So when you add the layada means, you reach a space where you can touch and access the spark. But it can only be in a position of adalayada. What's adalayada? So the Rebbe said, only when a person goes out of his or her das, 
and you go to a space beyond Das, then you can identify and sublimate the spark of Haman. If you say Baruch Haman before Layada, it can reach Haman himself, the shell of Haman, not the nitzitz of Haman. It reaches Haman the way Haman is. And that, of course, is dangerous. But what's the explanation? So he explained a whole long discussion about the Gemara and Brachas and Megillah. You allowed a teaser Russia and allowed a teaser Russia. The difference between a Tzadik Gomer and a Tzadik She'ene Gomer. Why Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid to confront Pare. After this, he comes now to the explanation. What does Yada mean? What does Adela Yada mean? We often translate Yada means you know. And Adelayada means you're confused. <laughs> you don't know what hit you because when you're drunk, you don't know what's going on, right? Or a person is really drunk, they're confused, they're overwhelmed, they're not sober, they don't know what they're doing, they don't remember what they're doing, they don't remember, they don't, they're not, they're not fully alert. They're like, you know, they're drunk. That's not Pshat Adelayada. That's the superficial Pshat. Yada Meira Lahavaydir Shalpitam Vedastavka. Yada and la yada represent two different dimensions in life. Yada means that my service of Hashem, my way of living, is based on tam vidas. Tam vidas means tam is reason, and das is intelligence, understanding. In Gemara in Yumid Avchavdalad, there's an explanation that there's two types of avoidus in the Beis Hamikdash. One was called an Avaida Tama, and one is called an Avaida She'ena Tama. Avaida Tama means a complete Avaida. Avaida She'ena Tama doesn't mean it's not complete in the sense that you didn't do a good job. It just means there's still something to do afterwards. So it's not called Avaida Tama, because Tam means like Tam Vinishlam, you know, Chasal Siddha Pesach. Tam means it's over, done, finished. Avaida Tama means it's an Avaida. After this Avaida, there's nothing else to do, you're finished. Avoid the Tama the Gemara says in Yumach of Dalad is Avoid the You still have to do something. For example, if a Kayan shechs the animal, it's not over. You have to receive the blood. You have to sprinkle the blood. Yeah. You have to burn certain parts of the carbon on the Mizbeach. It's not the completion. It's very important. But there's an Avoid that comes after. So the Rebbe says like this Avoid in Tam Vedas is Avoid the Sheena Tama. Sheesh Achare Avoid. Ahotnach Vasatan. It's a beginning, it's an amazing beginning to serve God with your brain, with your, with your perception, with your understanding. They put it into Yiddish, the whole Maima was in Yiddish, but usually they were written in Hebrew. But whenever there was an expression that was juicy, they put it into Yiddish because the Hebrew doesn't capture it. You see, it means he still has a serious thing to do. What, what does this mean? This reaching the state that's beyond das, this is also known in Chsidis as Bittl B'Metzias. My entire Metzias, my entire identity becomes subsumed in the Ein Soif, in the infinite. And as long as the person lives in the space of Tam Vedas, that's called a tzaddik, but it's a tzaddik she'enegamar. There's still an avayda afterwards. It's not bad, it's wonderful, but it's like in the base of Mikdash. 
there's still there's still some work I got to do. Now let me let me just define what these two things are in life in a very in a, in a we try to do it in a practical way. The mind is a big gift, you know. Judaism always believed in the gift of the mind. There are those who sometimes discourage people from thinking. It's a terrible thing because, you know, one of the girls asked me last night, she said, how do I know I'm not in a cult? <laughs> this is a girl, you know, with a very, very from house and a Hasidic house here in Muncie, and she wants to know, how do I know I'm not in a cult? Right? <laughs> So she's asking me, I'm like, why are you asking me? If you're in a cult, I'm also in a cult. <laughs> you're asking another member of the cult if you're in a cult or not. But I told her, the first thing, to, to, the first thing, the first way to know you're not in a cult is to always ask this question. Because when you're in a cult, they don't want you to ask the question. <laughs> when you're not in a cult, you can ask, how do I know I'm not in a cult? But I said, the first thing is, whenever somebody tells you, shut down your mind, don't think. Don't ask questions. You're not allowed to think. That's not a good sign. Because if Hashem gave a person a brain, it's supposed to be used and supposed to be maximized. If Hashem gave you a heart, He gave you a personality, He gave you a soul, He gave you resources, talents, gifts, they weren't made to destroy and crush and belittle and, dis- and denigrate. No, they're made to be maximized and utilized to their fullest. So Tam Vedas, Yoda, is not only a good thing, it's a vital thing that a person utilizes their mind to the fullest to try to decipher and understand and comprehend and assimilate and internalize and integrate. That's what the mind is. On all different levels, each person according to his or her capacity. So what's Adalayada? Adalayada doesn't mean I'm threatened by the mind. It doesn't mean I want to shut down the mind because I hate people who think or ask questions. People who are afraid of questions are usually people who don't have answers. And therefore, questions trigger them. When you're a confident person, you're not afraid of questions. You could listen to a question. If you don't know something, you say you don't know. We have to research it. If something is unknowable, you explain why it's unknowable. That's why he doesn't say lamata mitam vedas. And that's what I told the girl. A cult is lamata mitam vedas. Adalayada is lamayla mitam vedas. It's very different. Lamata mitam vedas means I'm afraid of intelligence. Some people are afraid of intelligence. I'm afraid of intelligent people. When people show intelligence, I want to crush them so that their intelligence goes out the window and they stop thinking and then everything is wonderful. They become submissive. That's a dangerous thing. We don't believe in that. You don't have to. If something is MS, you don't need to close down your mind in order to experience it. You don't need to become blind. They call it blind faith. Blind faith is a terrible expression. Faith has nothing to do with blindness. Blindness means you have to shut your eyes in order to be able to believe. That's not the Jewish Amun. You don't have to shut your eyes. The Rambam didn't shut his eyes. Reb Sadiagon didn't shut his eyes. The Barbanel didn't shut his eyes. Reb Yosef Albo didn't shut his eyes. The Al Bag didn't shut his eyes. The Arizal didn't shut his eyes, the Baal Shem Tov didn't shut his eyes, the Vilna Gan didn't shut his eyes, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe didn't shut his eyes. Their eyes were open. <laughs> you could read all their Svatim, you see, their eyes were very open. They didn't shut their eyes to become blind. The concept of Amunah is not, I am competing with Seichel. It's going beyond Seichel. It's very different, it's very different. 
Yada is a blessing. It's an avoid in the base hamikdash, but it's an avoidish einatama. If a person thinks that all of life they're going to capture with seichel, <laughs> that's not going to work. There's a moment in life where a person realizes there's some things you cannot wrap your brain around. And if you remember, we once spoke about this on Purim at length, at one of the Purim Fabrengans. This is the essence of Mordechai's words to Esther. Do you remember Mordechai's words to Esther in chapter 4 of the Megillah? Mordechai is trying to convince Esther to go into Achashvedish and plead with him to annul the decree of genocide against the Jewish people, and Esther refuses. Esther says it's dangerous, and Mordechai insists, and he pushes, and his final words to her that ultimately broke the ice and convinced her to go, what were his final words? Megillah says to chapter 4, Pedig Dalad, Who knows if this is not the reason you became the queen? So the Rebbe once said, I put him Fabreng in Tavshin Chav Beis, 1962, a few years after this, asked, Mordechai should have been more convincing. Mordechai should have said, Ani Yideya, I know. <laughs> I know, I'm the head, Mordechai was the head of the Sanhedrin, he was the spiritual leader of the Jewish people. He should have told Esther, Ani Yideya, I know, or we know, that Le'ez Kazoy Segat Lamalchus, things don't happen by mistake, there's Hashgacha, you became a queen because of this. Why was Mordechai so Derech Efsherdik? Miyadeya, you know what Miyadeya means in English? Who knows? Maybe yeah, maybe not. Who knows? So Mardechai, you want me to go sacrifice my life because you have a suffix, because you have a doubt, Miyadeya, who knows? So the Rebbe said Mardechai was not expressing doubt. Mardechai was expressing a truth. Miyadeya, it's beyond das. It's higher than das. It's adalayada. In other words... Esther can ask a, ask a big question. Why me? How did I end up in this position? Esther was a regular Beis Yaakov girl. She was valedictorian of Beis Yaakov and Beis Chana and Bnei Sien and Beis Ruchel and Beis Rivke and Beis Sarya and even Bruyer Shalamis Nevei. She was the best of the best, Knem de la Knem. The trajectory of Esther was to go build a beautiful Jewish home and suddenly she ends up in the palace of a Persian alcoholic drunkard monarch who's not Jewish and who hates Jews even more than Haman, as the Gemara says, we, how is this part of my mission? And Mardechai says, Mi Who knows? This is not something that you can capture in Das. A person's ultimate mission in life, you can't explain intellectually. A father comes, a mother comes and says, why do I have to deal with this Nisayim, with this challenge? Sometimes people go through things with their, in their own lives, their marriages, their children. They say, what did I do different? What happened to me? What happened in my house? There's no intellectual explanation that you're going to explain logically and mathematically why this person's child came out. And this person's child is going through so many struggles. The answer is, me idea. And me is 50. Mem Yud is 50. So the Rebbe said, Mem Yud is Shar Hanun. It's the 50th Shar, the 50th portal. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah that Moshe attained 49 Shar Bina, portals of wisdom, not the 50th. And the Magid says, when did he attain the 50th? On the day he went up to Har Nevoi. The Har Nevoi, the mountain of Nevoi, Nevoi is Nun Boy. Nun Boy, Nevoi. That's when Moshe reached the 50th. 
That's Adalayada. It's beyond das. So Mardukai tells Esther, this is a moment of Adalayada. It's a moment of embracing reality much deeper than your brain can understand, which means don't reduce reality to the capacity of your brain. Because if you reduce your reality to the capacity of your brain, we live in a very limited space. And when I live in a limited space, there's so much anger and resentment and frustration and anxiety because I'm trying to reduce infinity to finiteness. The Hebrew understand what I'm saying? Don't try to reduce infinity to finitude. Mordechai says, I'm not going to take this experience of you ending up in the palace and just turning it, turn it into a little shalashudas toira, into a little shit, a little tilpul, I'm going to go like this and go like this and explain and bring you a chsam seifer and then bring you a yismach yisrael and then quarter a bakiva eger and then give you another vart and then bring a raya from this seifer and that seifer and everything is good and it works perfect. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to put a circle into a square. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not going to do that. A circle in Kabbalah represents infinity. A square represents finiteness. I'm not going to force the circle into the square. I'm not going to take your life, which has so much mystery to it, so much grandeur to it, and reduce it to a finite experience. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to challenge you and challenge myself. Can I open myself up to the infinity of life? There's only one way. Adeloyada. Adeloyada. That's called Bittl B'Metzius. What does Bittl B'Metzius mean? Bittl B'Metzius is one of the most beautiful, powerful expressions in Chassidus. Bittl B'Metzius means that my whole Metzius has the courage to be able to open itself up to becoming a channel of Ein Saif. I don't need to reduce the Ein Saif and force it into my identity. I will not, I'm not going to take my life and force it into the limited capacity of my understanding. Now, this is a very deep avoid. This avoid is not an easy avoid because we are trained and a part of us always wants to understand. I always want to make sense of things. You know, I sometimes go to Shiurim. People go through different things. And one of the things that many teachers love to do is make sense out of everything. Why? Because it makes people feel secure. <laughs> If I can understand what's going on, I feel like I have control over it. But that means I'm not in a place of truth. I'm in a place of trying to control. Adelayada means I don't have to control. Adelayada is bitl b'metzias. You open yourself up to that. You don't have to control. I don't have to control. I can't control. I don't want to control. Control is manipulation. I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to exploit What's bitl b'metzias? My whole metzias could become a channel for infinity. My brain, my heart. I'm not going to reduce reality to my limited capacity. Who was the first person to be mekayim adalayada? Who was the first person to fulfill adalayada? The answer is Esther. Mordechai said, Mi idea. Esther, this is something beyond us. And what did Esther do? Esther said, Okay, Leich Knois is Kola Yehudim, Vitsumu Alai, fast three days, I'm also going to fast. I'm going to go into the king not according to the law. Loyada. 
It's not a it doesn't make sense. V'chasher avadati, avadati. Esther completely surrenders to this moment of absolute dedication of Messias Nefesh. And what happens? She saves the world. She saves the Jewish people till this very day, from that moment of Adelayada. This doesn't mean that Tam Vedas is not good. It's wonderful, but it's an Avoid She'ena Tama, a Hatnachvasatan. A Hatnachvasatan. This is the concept of a tzaddik she'enei gomer is, I'm still living in Tam Vedas. I'm serving Hashem, but I'm serving Hashem in a way that's limited according to my understanding, which is, which is beautiful, which is amazing, which is incredible, which is deep. But here is what happens now. He continues, When a person is in a state of yada, a person's avoid can't be in a way that you say blessed is Haman to bring the light to the divine spark in the klipa because if I'm in a state of yada, I have my own blockages. And when I have my own blockages, so then the light is going to go to the klipa, to the shell. Not only will I not be able to extract the spark of the klipa, not only will I not extract the spark, but something else will happen. I'm going to consolidate the klipa. I'm going to make the clipper stronger. In other words, the negativity, the toxicity is now going to get energy from me so that it will endure forever. As the Alter Rebbe explains in the Pasuk and Parashas, after Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, Hashem says, I'm afraid that now they're going to eat from the tree of life. And now Adam Arishan will eat from the tree of life and live forever. What's the problem? So he says, Adam and Chava were supposed to live forever. But once they ate from the tree of knowledge, what's the chet das? Das! Das! Oh, do you hear? This, it's not the eights of Adeloyada. It's the eights of Das. Eights of Das is the, the eights of Das. Eights of Das. There's no Adeloyada. Once they ate from the eights of Das of Yodam, and that means there was an ability for the Ra to become mixed into the good. There's now a taruvis, a mix between negativity and positivity, between divinity and that which is not divine, between wholeness and brokenness. So now we have to be afraid that the ra, the negativity, doesn't have eternal longevity. It doesn't exist forever. Before Adam made from the Eitzadas, it's great if there is eternal life because the toiv will live forever. That's what goodness does. But once there was the ra introduced, into Adam's psyche, now the Ra is going to live forever if Adam lives forever because it's part of him. So therefore there has to be a concept of death which allows the Ra to to dissipate. It allows the Ra to to dissolve, to be obliterated. Similarly, a tzaddik who's in complete because he feels his own mitzvahs, because of his self-consciousness, he didn't reach yet the state of loyada, there's still an element of self-consciousness, the concept of eitzadas is, I'm in a state of yada, I'm not in a state of loyada, and in fact, when the Gemara wants to say the source of Haman and Torah, it's hamina eitzadas, in other words, Haman is rooted in eitzadas, in yada, 
The only way I can extract a spark of Haman is through Adalayada. When the person is in the place of Das, Yeshetz Leayin, the Taruvis Taivira. There's a mixture between that which is whole and good and divine, and that which is separated from the divine, that which is broken. So you have to be very careful where you go. You have to know your boundaries. There's certain places you can't go to. You can't get involved with the toxic. Because when I do get involved with it, and I am not in the position of beyond yada, what might happen is not only won't you triumph, on the contrary, you may be schlepped into the clipper. Not only will you not have the ability to extract a spark, rather, what's going to happen? The clipper can embrace, can, can schlep you down, and you lose touch. The house was tzutzich. And that's why the regular Seder Avoida is, Mordechai is blessed and Haman is cursed. The regular system of life is you try to remain disconnected from negativity. He says in Yiddish, don't have a connection to Haman. But when you reach this place of loyoda, avoda shalomayla mitam vedas bittel b'metzias. You go beyond tam vedas. You go beyond your seichel bittel b'metzias. Your whole metzias is bittel. There's no chetet zadas. There's no self consciousness. You're a conduit for infinity. This is the concept of a complete sadaku bekeicha. You'll be a cholte lahamshich eirel anitzus dushin shabatecha klipa. You don't have to be afraid of klipa. You can bring the light into the spark that's in the klipa. But even you never get confused. You always know the difference between the good and the ra. You don't get lured into the trap of klippah. And then the light won't be access to the klippah itself, to the shell itself. God forbid. He says on it, because it's dangerous. The light you're going to bring to the nitzutz, and you're going to extract it from the klippah. And then, when you take the nitzutz out of the ra, the ra remains alone, and then it can't live anymore. Haman can't live without the nitzutz. So what happens to Haman? Haman dissipates. Pare dissipates. Why? Because Pare and Haman all have a nitzutz. And the only way they can live and function is by that nitzutz giving them life, even if the nitzutz is concealed and distorted. When you know how to take out that nitzutz without feeding the clipper... So what happens? The Ra is left without a Nitzitz Kedusha. It can't live anymore. It gets obliterated. Now, I want to, like everything, every Mimer, we've discussed this many times. It applies on so many different levels to so many different people in so many different situations. But the concept of every Mimer is always applicable to every person's life. I want to bring out this point and apply it the way we, each and every one of us can relate to this wherever we are in the world. There's certain situations, you know, one way of talking about this is with your own children. It's not only with your own children, it's with other people's children. It's with yourself. It's with your family. It's with friends. It's with strangers. It's with anybody you meet. But I want to apply this in a way that is very personal and intimate with, cho- with, pe- with, with people that you're constantly in contact with. I'm using the example of children because they touch us in the deepest way. 
Sometimes you meet a person, and this person has a lot of clippers, there's a lot of shells, a lot of cover-ups, a lot of blockages. Inside, there's a very, very holy spark, but it's buried. And you'll see two people, two types of people. You'll see two types of one person meets this child or this human being, and they get so triggered. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I scream. I run the other way. I go into a mode of fight or flight or freeze. I can't deal with it. Why? Why? Then you have another person. He meets the same child. And there's so much love and so much empathy and so much compassion. And they don't have to run. They're present fully. And they tune into the other person's life. What's the difference? The difference is not the child. The difference is me. The question is how much am I worked out with my own clipper? If I never worked through my own clipper, your clipper is going to drive me crazy. <laughs> you're going to trigger me so badly. When I meet you, you're going to bring out in me my worst. Because you're going to remind me of my own pain. You're going to remind me of those things that are so frustrating for me and difficult for me. I will not be able to see through your shell to your spark. And now what's going to happen? Not only will I not help you, I won't even help myself. I'm going to get schlepped down. And therefore I say, do me a favor. My coping mechanism is just stay away. And sometimes I'm not in a position where I can go there. I'm not. You have to be ready for it. Because this is the aside of this mimer. The world reacts to us. We don't react to the world. The world reacts to us. We don't react to the world. Meaning, when things are worked through inside of me, then my relationship with you is going to be a different relationship. And what I bring out from you is going to be much different. When I'm not worked out, on the other hand, you're going to trigger me in a way that will schlep me down emotionally and psychologically. So often we say, I can't deal with this person. I can't get close to this person. I can't talk to this person without going crazy. It doesn't have to do with this person. It has to do with you. It has to do with me. They will react to you based on how you react to yourself. If I'm worked out, so then when I see you, I could see your nitzutz. And even if I see the clipper, I could see beyond it. The Gemara says this about Reb Meir. The Gemara in Chagiga, some of you are finishing Meseches Chagiga now, speaks Chagiga of Yudalat Tesvav. Reb Meir remained a student of Acher, Elisha ben Avoy, even after he became a heretic. So the Gemara says, how could Reb Meir learn from such a person? And the Gemara says, Reb Meir zarak. Reb Meir knew how to eat the inside and how to discard the shell. Meir comes from the word Oyr. Reb Meir lived in a world of Oyr, in a world of Loyada, of Bittl B'Metzias. So Reb Meir, when he saw Acher, he didn't get lured into the clip, he went to the Nitzots, and he stayed with the Nitzots. Fakert, he helped the Nitzots come out. The Gemara says how ultimately Reb Meir tried to get Acher to do tshuva. Reb Meir didn't get affected by the clip. Why? The Gemara says that in the Torah of Reb Meir, it said, Kosnes Ur with an Aleph, not with an Ayin. After Adam and Chava ate from the tree, it says, Hashem made Kosnes Ur. He made leather shirts for them. Ur. Leather. Ur. Before that, they didn't have to have garments. By Reb Meir, the Ur was spelled with an Aleph, not Ur with an Ayin, which is leather, 
but oir with an olive, which is light. In other words, Reb Meir saw in the kosnas oir, in the tunics of leather, he saw tunics of light. The gashmi wasn't a chatzitza of the ruchni. The outer wasn't a separation of the inner. The klipa was transparent or translucent. So the mayor didn't get in the spall from the klipa. So this is the difference. When I'm in a place of yada, in other words, when I'm feeling my own self-consciousness, when I'm serving Hashem only with that which I can understand and I can experience and I can feel, so infinity is now limited within my own vessels, so there's still somewhat of a shell that blocks the pure flow of Elokus through me. Ooh, now you have to be very careful. Now you have to be careful. Like Adam Arisha, and if he's now going to eat from the Eitz HaChayim, the Ra is also going to live forever. You have to be very careful. Because when I go to the world of Klippa, what's going to happen? Not only won't I get out the spark, Fakert, the Klippa will trigger my Klippa, and I could fall, I could lose it. And that's why you have to have boundaries. You have to know where you're allowed to go, where you're not allowed to go. Some people are not allowed to go certain places. The Gemara says, you tell a Nazir, don't get close to a vineyard. <laughs> don't get close. Don't get close to a vineyard. It's too tempting. You're not allowed to eat grapes. You're a Nazir. Stay away. You have to stay away. You need boundaries. When you're in a state of Adalayada, Purim, what's Purim? Adalayada, Miyadeya, Bittal I become a channel for Ein Saif. There's no ego. There's no self-consciousness. Shluch eshel adam kemoisai. When chesidus permeates your whole metzius, that your whole metzius is Ein Saif, Adelayada. Then you, then you could go to places that nobody else can go. Then you could go to the lowest places, and you're not going to fall. Fakert, you'll be megala the nitzutz there. As long as I'm in a place of eitzadas, I'm busy with my own ego. I'm busy with my own self consciousness. I'm busy protecting myself. I'm busy living in a world of das, which means everything is limited based on my own identity. And I'm living in that bubble, in that box, even though I'm a good person. And I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to serve Hashem. But I'm serving Hashem with the limitedness of my das. Then there's certain people and certain places I'm not going to be able to access. Why? Because I still have my own clip. And remember, we're always triggered by things that exist inside of us. You don't trigger me. If you're triggering me, it's because something inside of me that's not worked through, that's not resolved. And that's what's coming out. Your clipper is triggering my clipper. Your clipper is triggering my clipper. That's always the claw. People think, this person triggers me. No, <laughs> this person triggers me, because something inside of me that I need to take responsibility for. And this is something we have to observe. Wow, your child said something to you, and you freaked out, and you don't know what happened. Be quiet, meditate, and ask yourself, 
What did you just experience? Be curious, be inquisitive. Don't point fingers this way. Point a finger this way and say, what just happened in my system? What just happened? Why did I get so infuriated? What happened? So you'll say, because he spoke against Taira. Okay, okay. That's what we tell ourselves. He spoke against Taira. Um, in other words, I'm not really angry. Hashem is angry. I'm just a channel for Hashem. But if I'm very, very honest with myself and I go a step deeper, I say, is it because he spoke against Torah? Or is it maybe some personal shame? Maybe my dream has been destroyed, which is all normal. It's all normal. But it means I'm still stuck in judgment, I'm judging myself, I'm judging others, I'm in a place of Eitz Hadas, of Yoda. It's not Bittl B'Metzis, which is normal, you're not bad, you're a good person. You ate from the Eitz Hadas, we all ate from the Eitz Hadas, not all, <laughs> few people didn't, but most of us ate from the Eitz Hadas. They say about Reb Zusha, somebody told them, you're so innocent, you're like naive. So Reb Zusha said, yeah, because we were all in Adam, right? All the Nishamas come from Adam. So all the souls, when they saw the Eitz Hadas, he said, they all climbed up. <laughs> they all climbed up to get a piece of the fruit. He says, but I, you know, I was a little Tomim. I was naive, so I just stayed. <laughs> I didn't climb up to get the fruit. So he says, Benichmer Tomim. <laughs> Somebody once told it Tzamech Tzedek about a certain Rav. He said, Ez nishta klug. He said, yeah, he guessed an abyssal veinike for an Eitzadas. He ate a little less from the Eitzadas. In other words, klug, it's good, klug means smart. Nothing wrong with being smart. But sometimes you're too smart, you understand? You're, 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 you're shrewd, you're sly. That's all Eitzadas. Eitzadas is shrewd, sly. I need to be in control. So I ate from the Eitzadas. I can't go close to Haman. I can't. And I'm applying this not only with Haman is, is, is the big picture, the big evil. But this is many situations. I can't get close to the cliff. What's going to happen, the Rebbe says? What's going to happen? I'm going to be schlepped in. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to fall. Only when you're a place of now you can face every person and every situation. And you're not afraid because there's no you. Because there's no self-consciousness. You're just a conduit. So you become an empathetic witness for another person's pain. You become an empathetic witness for their nitzutz kedusha. You just contain them, and you don't allow the clipper to take over. On the contrary, you see right through it, because you see through your own clipper. And you right away know when you're being triggered by your clipper, or you're being triggered by your nitzutz kedusha. And when you can see that, and contain the other person's nitzutz, you help them find their nitzutz, and then their ra goes away. Now, there's a difference between Haman and a Jew. Haman, ultimately, Haman has to leave, has to be obliterated. Haman is a Russia. Haman is a Malik. You take the nitzutz, and Haman, and Haman, Haman dissipates. There's different levels in Klippa. There's sometimes you take out the nitzutz, and the Klippa can be elevated with the nitzutz, right? Sometimes part of the Klippa has to disappear. Sometimes part of a clip, it doesn't have redemptiveness. Each person is in a different state. But the concept is that the only way I can elevate the nitzutz is if 
I am completely in touch with my own nitzitz, completely without blockages. If there's no blockage in me, I can reach out to you in that space. Okay, so we're going to take a break here, and we'll continue this Maimir Be'ezer Hashem on Thursday. Let me take a few questions. Is this the reason why the greatest blessings to the Jewish people came from Bilam, even though Bilam was such a Russia? Because ultimately there is a spark even in Bilam. Yeah, and Bilam was also a prophet. Does this mean literally every Russia? What about when you're talking about Haman? What about when you're talking about Hitler, Yemach Shemai, all these people? Listen. It's very important to be sensitive. When we're talking about Haman and Hitler, Yemach Shemam, you're talking about people who dedicated their lives to destroy countless innocent lives. And in Hitler's case, successfully. The six million of our brothers and sisters and so many other people that suffered and were destroyed during the Second World War. So it's very, very important to be sensitive and careful how we speak about these people. You're talking about people who have become an embodiment of evil. And yet, we believe that deep down, everything in this world has a life force. It could be so distorted and eclipsed and buried that they themselves are unaware of it. Every person is created in the image of Hashem. But some people distort that image so badly that you can't recognize anymore the Tzalem Alekim. And when you look at them, you see the face of evil. And that was Haman and that was Hitler. You look at them and you see the face of evil, the face of that just embodies absolute evil. Just the worst of the worst. No regard for human life. No regard for morality. No regard for, human, for, for moral boundaries. No regard for another person's existence. Complete no moral sensibility in terms of life and death. You know, Adela Yada and the opposite extreme. You don't know the difference of killing people and saving people. And even a million and a half children you could send into gas, to gas rooms without blinking an eye, with tremendous glee. It becomes, you become in a state where a person's life is simply, simply valueless. And uh, you know what we're seeing now in Ukraine is another example of, of terrible, terrible uh, calamities being inflicted on people, often without discrimination. So these are things that are real manifestations of negativity, of Ra. And yet, every person, everything is alive because Hashem allows it to live. If Hashem wouldn't let it live, it wouldn't be here. But we have to be very careful not to uh, minimize the intensity of the Klippa. I don't understand, how did Mordechai allow Esther to marry the king? to go to the palace with a Gentile husband. It must have been so hard for her. Great question. Mordechai didn't allow it. It says, Vatilakach Esther. Esther was forced. She was abducted. She was taken. The king didn't give the women a choice. He took them. And if not, they would be killed. I know that you encourage and you don't mind when people ask questions, but I do have to tell you that I know rabbis, and I've had personal stories from others about rabbis who don't encourage questions. They get upset. Maybe that's the reason that the girl asked you the question about being in a cult, because many people don't like when others ask questions. I hear you. That's sad. I understand that this is a very delicate balance, and I think those who are not in a cult are those who are okay 
with how other people live. They live and they let live. Who was the first person to fulfill Adelayad? I think it was Noyach, because Noyach got drunk. No, 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 no. That wasn't Adelayad, that was just drunk. <laughs> but Noyach was trying to fulfill Adelayad, that's true. The way I understand is a cult allows no questions. It minimizes his contacts with people outside of the cult. The very fact that this girl could come to you and ask a question, and the very fact that she could communicate with all types of people and nobody separates her from them, means that she's not in a cult. Compare it, Lahavdal, with Putin today, who cut off contact with those who are outside of Russia. He hides the truth. There's tremendous propaganda. He doesn't allow his people to have access to information to tell them what he's doing in Russia. This is how cults are created. Yeah, you're right. Beautiful questions. Wow. I have a question. My question is, well, this is a very heavy question. What you're saying is that every person has a spark deeply embedded in them. My question now is as follows. What is the pain that lingers in the soul of Mr. Putin that makes him feel the need to be so aggressive and the fact that he has to conquer the world and the fact that he has to invade Ukraine? I know it's horrible, 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 but I want to know, what is the spark inside of Mr. Putin? What type of trauma does he have? What type of inner unresolved wounds does Vladimir Putin have that makes him feel that he has to be the bully of the world in order to survive? Why does he feel so left out? What happened to him as a child? Is it possible that Putin has such, such deep pain and such low self-esteem? Maybe he's so wounded in a profound way and maybe that wound comes from a very innocent and childlike place. Could we have compassion for that? What happens if Putin was more internally whole? What happens if he got more love? What happens if he didn't feel so isolated as a child? Do you think history would look very, very different? I want to know what does Putin's inner spark look like? Wow. Good stuff. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And, you, and, 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 and the person says, and if I would be sitting with Putin in one room, would I have to look at him and tell him, you're an evil bum, you're a gangster, you're a KGB monster, or maybe if I'm in a state of Adelayada, I could look into his eyes and say, wow, there's so much pain here. Can I contain your pain and help him heal a little bit? And maybe the world will be a different place. Do you think that is even possible or that language is dangerous? It's a very, very interesting thing you're saying. Very interesting. Let me tell you this. I can't answer this question. It's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. But one thing I know, if there's somebody who can do that, it's somebody who's described here in this Mimer as being in a place of real wholeness. When I'm in a place of real, real wholeness, so you don't get me angry and frustrated because I see through everything, and I can really become an empathetic witness for your pain, then you can often extract sparks in ways that people don't imagine. But for this, you have to make sure that you're really at Sadegomer. In other words, you're really not triggered so you can get to that space. You have to have those microscopic eyes that get right to the nitzutz, because if not, your shells are going to so enrage me and I'm going to lose the plot. 
And we have to know where we are in life, where we are in history. It's a very, very good question. Um, perhaps many of us who are still in a state of tzaddik she'ene gomer, all we can do is stay away from the klipa or destroy the klipa from an external point of view. Right? On Purim, you could say, Baruch Mardechai, not because you're blessing, Mar- I'm sorry, Baruch Haman, not because you're blessing Haman, but because you're blessing the Klippa of Haman, taking out the Nitzutz, and then Haman is destroyed, because Haman can't live without the Nitzutz. So it's a very, very sensitive, sensitive uh, issue, but you bring up some very profound ideas. You touched my soul with this class. What you said was pure truth. I was just trying to be a conduit for this mimer, but thank you for being here. It's very special always to have you. Your perceptiveness and uh, yearning for MS is very inspiring. My dearest friends, sending you all the love and blessings and all the love and blessings to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and our brothers and sisters in Israel and around the whole world. And uh, we're going to continue this mimer Thursday morning, wishing you all a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.